Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Well, we pray that you would move powerfully among your people tonight. Not just in, uh, uh, in revelation or knowledge, but Lord, that there would be an impartation. I, I, I believe there has been all week long, but I pray that you would continue the impartation to your people. Amen. Um, I, I, is there someone here named Hendricks? Your, is your last name Hendricks? Somebody here named, would you stand please? Oh, Greg. You're staying in my house. Honest to God, I, hadn't, I, I didn't remember that. Maybe my subconscious did. But I, wanna, I, I wanted to tell you that uh, I, I saw you like running to take a hill and I saw you running by yourself and I saw this whole thing about you and I saw you with a spear and you were running and you're like, no one's with me and, you, and, you, and then suddenly the scene changed and there was like hundreds of people with you and, you were, and then you were screaming, breakthrough, we're having a breakthrough and I feel like the Lord is, uh, I, I feel like the, the word of the Lord is God is with you in those who are for you, and there's more for you than are against you. And I believe that the Lord's gonna give you angel help, I believe the Lord's gonna give you a mountain, uh, a mountain, he's gonna give you, uh, there's, a, there's a realm of society that the Lord has is, uh, is, uh, promised you, and, he's, and this, is the, this is the day of delivery. And so I, re- I release uh, that to you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that was a word of knowledge and not my subconscious, because I didn't remember. Uh, is there someone with the last name Ma, M-A, M-A-A, or something like that? Is that you? Your last name Ma? And uh, is, do you know uh, a Pam? Yeah? Okay. Well, um, I'll release God's grace on you right now, and uh, I saw the Lord put a protection around you, and I, I believe that you're one of the most protected people on the planet. And uh, I, I, I know that there's been this whole warfare around you, and the Lord says, it's time for me to stand on your boat and say, peace be still, and for the storm to stop in your life. But listen, the Lord doesn't just want to stop your storm. He wants to teach you how to stop storms. And you're going to be a storm stopper in other people's lives. You're going to release peace on other people's storms. You're going to tell people storms to stop, and the Lord is going to give you power over a whole, the whole demonic realm the thing that's been against you, like the, the sword of Goliath that was against uh, David later on in life, he fought with the sword of Goliath. And the Lord says what's been against you is actually gonna be the weapon that you're gonna use to destroy the works of the devil in your city and in, around, your, around your family, and especially in the life of your children. And I bless that in you in Jesus' name. Well, I'm on a roll, let's try one more. Is there somebody in here, they call you Tiny? It's not your name, but they call you Tiny. Is there somebody in here, they call you Tiny? You wish that was your name? Okay, we'll go on. Was there anybody in here? Yeah, don't come up afterwards, okay? I I always believe that if you don't have the, the faith to stand, you don't have the faith to carry it anyway. Uh, oh, I said that harshly. I didn't mean it that way. 
Let me put it Danny Silk ways. Probably it's not the season for you to stand at this moment. Or our team can tell you how many times. I, oh, watch this. Watch me walk on water. Saw it right here. Our team can tell you how many times do people come up after and go, "I'm that person." I can't. I can't even tell you how many times. Yeah, all the time, right? You call someone. I, I've watched uh, someone recently. I can't remember who. They call out first and last name. What? No, too late. Entire anointing lifted through annoying. No, is that? Do they people call you that? Did. I didn't hear what you said, except for that's not what they call you. Oh no, that doesn't count. Thank you, though. God bless you. May all your camels prosper, and none of them have ticks. Anyway, okay. Moving on. Okay, it's time to move on. Come on, Valentin. Don't. Don't be distracted. I'm so OCD. It's amazing. I can put sentences together that you can understand. Okay, some assembly required.、Um, I want to talk to you about creating tipping points, and I, I, I want to say that I, I feel like there is often a sense that the world is out of control, or that the people who are in control have this. Kind of、uh, tenacity, or intelligence, or something that we don't have, and I and, and and I think that we tend to be influenced by whatever government we're raised in, or whatever whatever country we're raised in. So, for for most of us in this room, we were raised in democracies, democratic republics, and we we sort of have this idea that majorities rule, that. If you have a majority, then you can influence your country, your political system, your educational system, whatever you're thinking of. But if you don't have a majority, you're kind of like you got to kind of wait till more people agree with you. And I, I'd like to propose that that's not true. That first of all, that Jesus is not king; he's not president of presidents; he's king of kings. And and that means that. You, in, the, in, the, in the kingdom we live in, you, we also kind of look to God like, well, if I can get enough people together, if we can get a million people on the Washington D.C. lawn, then God will shift the nation. And by the way, I think it's awesome that we all get together, and I'm not sure that we realize that we're getting together for our sake. But not for his. I, I don't think it takes a million people on the lawn of the Capitol,、uh, at, on the lawn of the White House, to make a difference. I, I, I'm glad for when we when we have those, and I think it probably scares the bejeebers out of the devil. But I don't think it moves the heart of God. I think what moves the heart of God is one person. I was thinking about in the old covenant in Jeremiah chapter five. This is the old covenant. Jeremiah chapter five. God said this to Jeremiah: Roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, 
and look now and take note and seek in her open squares if you can find a man, if there's one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. God says to Jeremiah, the Israelis are again walked away from God, serving Baal, and God says, find me one person. Jeremiah, I want you to walk through the streets and I want you to see if you can find one person who hasn't bowed their knees to Baal. And if you can, I will pardon her and I will change her. In, uh, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, um, the writer of Chronicles writes this, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You're not powerless. It's an illusion. One person can change history. One person can change history. One person in this room can make a difference in history. I don't know how many of you have read the book, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. By the way, I love Malcolm Gladwell's stuff. Um, And he wrote uh, in The Tipping Point, the book opens with a um, a story about a murder of a, a young lady named Katie, uh, I think her name is uh, Greeson, and she was brutally raped and murdered in 1964 in Queens, New York. Now, obviously that wouldn't even be front page news. There's murders every day in New York. But what made it very intriguing is that 38 people watched in broad daylight as a man raped her in broad daylight in the middle of the street and killed her and not one person intervened. A team of people uh, from a university, sorry I didn't make notes of what university, a team of people from a university decided to do uh, a social experiment and they began to study, along with other things, they began to study this particular murder. And they found out as they interviewed several of the people that they could find of the 38 that that, that looked on, They had this common reason why they didn't intervene or call the police. You know what it is? Everyone thought everyone else already called. And here's what they, this is what Malcolm Gladwell discovered through the university study that was done on that particular murder. What they found is this, and through, they did several, they did four other experiments, and what they found is this, that if one person views an incident, like a, a crime, a murder, somebody's having a heart attack, if one person views an incident like that, there's almost a 100% chance that that person's gonna do something to intervene. But as you increase the number of people that actually view an incident, the amount of people who actually respond decline dramatically to the place where if a crowd views a crime, they almost never respond. And why am I bringing that? Because we have the sense that the crowd makes the difference. And the truth is, even scientifically, is that crowds do not create movements. It's not movements that, 
It's not crowds that create movements. It's individuals. You'll remember in 1955, there was a 42-year-old black woman coming home from a long day of work. For many days, she had sat in the back of the bus, years. And one day, as you know, Rosa Parks. One day, she got on that bus, exhausted, and the bus driver said, and she sat in the front seat of the bus. It was a seat that was open. And that bus driver said, get to the back of the bus. And she said, I'm not moving. And he said, if you don't go to the back of the bus, I'm gonna call the police. And she said, call whoever you want, but this is my seat and I'm sitting here. Rosa Parks wasn't part of a movement. There was no movement. She pushed on the boulder of history and history moved. A young preacher named Martin Luther King got involved, as you know. And they said to Martin Luther, Martin Luther King said that he wanted to have a peaceful revolution. And his friends, all of his friends, said there is no such thing as a peaceful revolution. Less than nine months into his peaceful revolution, what we now call civil rights movement, some radical white supremacists set a bomb in his house and blew up his house. His daughters and wife were in the house and the bomb went off and blew the front off, off his house so that his wife and daughter were sitting outside on the porch. Immediately, his friends came to his house and said, see, there's no such thing as a peaceful revolution. And Martin went out on what was left of that porch and the first thing he did was forgive his perpetrators and the movement began. There was no movement. They pushed on history and they created a movement. Are you getting this, what I'm saying to you? Like, you are not powerless. What if you're the next Martin Luther King? What if you're the next Rosa Parks? The size of a man can often be determined by the size of the problem it takes to discourage him. One American general said, little people have little problems and big people have big problems. I fear we have little problems. It takes courage to change history. It takes courage to change history. And courage, sometimes we think that courage is like something that someone's born with. You're like, there are courageous people and there are fearful people. And I believe that courage is fear that says prayers. I believe that, that there's no such thing initially as a courageous person. A courageous person is somebody who decides to let, let fear tell them what to do. I live with a lot of fear in my life. I have nervous breakdown when I was 22 years old, lasted three and a half years. I wrote a book about it. You know, if you have something go wrong in your life, write a book about it. It's better to be miserable and rich than miserable and poor, because at least you can go shopping. (laughs) 
There's a great story about Alexander the Great. And by the way, Alexander the Great, do you know that he died at 32? A few centuries before Christ, Alexander the Great conquered almost all the known world with his military strength, cleverness, and diplomacy. One day, Alexander and a small company of soldiers approached a strongly defended walled city. Alexander, standing outside the walls, raised his voice, demanding to see the king. The king, approaching the battlements above the invading army, agreed to hear him. Alexander demanded, surrender to me immediately, commanded Alexander. The king laughed. Why should I surrender to you? He called down. We have far outnumbered you. You are no threat to us. Alexander was ready to answer the challenge. Allow me to demonstrate why you should surrender. He replied. Alexander ordered his men to line up single file and start marching. He marched them straight towards the sheer cliff that dropped hundreds of feet below to the rocks. To the rocks below. The king and his soldiers watched in shock and disbelief as one by one Alexander's soldiers marched without hesitation right off the cliff to their deaths. After 10 soldiers had died, Alexander ordered the rest of the men to stop and return to his side. The king and his soldiers surrendered on the spot to Alexander the Great. It takes courage to make history. We have so many stories of of David and Goliath. The story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. The story of, of, um, of Gideon and his 300 men who changed history. Uh, my point is, I understand that there are qualities that it takes to make history, but I'd like to suggest that you have those qualities. That, you, that when God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, probably one of the most popular chapters in the entire Old Testament, he said, be strong and courageous. I'm going to give, in fact, he said, first he said, you're going to give the people the land I promised them. <laughs> I made promises to these people and the fulfillment, Joshua, is in you. But he said, only be strong and very courageous. Three times he commands Joshua, be strong and courageous. If Joshua could not make a choice to be courageous, it would have been wrong for God to command him to be strong and courageous. What I'm getting at is sometimes I think that we just have to, you know, I know this is kind of a man's maybe message or something right now, but I feel like there are times when we just have to push past fear I think the emotion of fear is sometimes still with us when we're being courageous. I think people say, well, there are, uh, you know, there are fearless people. I don't think there are fearless people. I th- well, there are a few, few, few fearless people, but they're mostly insane. <laughs> Have you ever met someone totally fearless? Like, they're like, woo, something's wrong with them. I don't think God's looking for fearless people. I think he's looking for courageous people. And I think there's a big difference between fearless people and courageous people. I know sometimes people say things like, I'm not afraid. You know, if you, for instance, if you were afraid to fly fly on a plane, and you never get on a plane, how many know you never feel fear? You know why? You reduced your life to embrace your fear. I'm saying some people are like, they say, I live in peace. You don't live in peace, you live in denial. You have... You have shrunk your world to the level of your fear. And by the way, you'll just keep shrinking because the spirit of fear is never satisfied. And I believe that God's called us to be courageous. You got that look tonight, I don't know. Should have preached this on Halloween.
I love what Ronald Reagan said. He said, if you can't get them to see the light, make them feel the heat. I love that guy. Personal victories become corporate breakthroughs. I was thinking about Roger Bannister. May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Now, we look at that and we're like, that's amazing. What we may not know is that they had tried to break the four-minute mile for hundreds of years. They had literally even had lions chasing the runners. And Roger Bannister's day, I don't know if you know this, but they had just finished a whole psychological profile of runners, and they said this, that it is psychologically impossible for a runner to break the four-minute mile, and if they do, they will become mentally ill. That was a medical journal that came out the year before Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute mile, and less than 60 days later, less than six weeks later, on June 21st, 1954, John Landy broke Bannister's record. And as you well know, you have to break the four-minute mile if you're going to be competitive. And what I'm getting at is that for hundreds of years, no one was able to break the four-minute mile. They began to reason that it's, it's impossible. It's physically and psychologically impossible. As a matter of fact, if you break the four-minute mile, you will go nuts. Then Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute mile. And what happens? Six weeks later, another man breaks the four-minute mile. And then another man breaks the four-minute mile. And then another man breaks the four-minute mile. Why did all those people break the four-minute mile when hundreds of years no one broke the four-minute mile? There's something about someone's personal breakthrough. Somebody finally, he finally, if you will, pushes past the, the naysayers, pushes back all the psychologists, the scientists, all the people who say this can't be done, and they break the four-minute mile. What happens to everyone else? They start to believe. Are you with me? They start to believe. If he can do it, I can do it. If he can break that four-minute mile, I can break that four-minute mile. And we begin to release on the people faith to do what hadn't been done in hundreds of years. So what I'm getting at is you're not just running for yourself. You're not just fighting for yourself. When you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like it, and you look, you, you're, you're called to that mountain like Greg tonight. You're called to the, take this mountain, and you get up, and you're like, oh, I don't know, you know? No one's ever taken that mountain. Why me? Because we're all waiting on you. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Well, how do I know what God's called me to do? It drives you crazy. How many of you are pastors in this room? How many of you have had people come up to you and say, how come no one's doing something about, about the 100,000 different problems we have in our city? They single one out and wonder why you're not doing something about, why, what, or they go, what are we, what are you doing about such and such? Or what is the church doing about such and such? I love Banny's answer. When the first year they started their church, this man came up to Banning and said, what are we doing for the poor? What's the church doing for the poor? And Banning said, I don't know, what are you doing for the poor? Whatever you're doing for the poor, that's what the church is doing for the poor. I'm saying, something stirs you, it's not my, it's not my assignment, it's your assignment. 
Yes, but you're the leader. But you're supposed to be in that area. I don't know why nobody's, you know, touching the Asian children in our, in our city. No one's touching the Asian city. I don't know what's wrong with our church. What's wrong with our church is you. You got up in the morning wondering who's touching the Asian people. You're supposed to touch the Asian people. Well, I don't have a word from the Lord. You have a word. That is a word from the Lord. The Lord troubled the waters. Look throughout history. I mean, look at Joshua. I mean, oh, let's go with Jonathan. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, they wake up in the morning. They've been 40 days intimidated by the enemy. And one day Jonathan wakes up early and he says to his armor bearer, can the Lord save by many and not by few? And the armor bearer goes, just do whatever's in your heart. (laughs) With the stupidest plan in the world. Have you ever noticed most of God's plans? No, I better wait. Lord, let me finish my thought. Never mind. I know who butters my bread. I'm just saying they don't always make sense. Have you noticed God's plans? They don't always make sense. Like, you know, it's like, we're going to hire a strategist. And and then something's like, God's like, okay, Gideon. Mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, I'm from the smallest family, the smallest tribe. And by the way, if I'm a mighty man, where are all the miracles of our fathers? You could see, like, why does God choose Gideon? Gideon is frustrated about his condition. And God goes, that's who I'm going to use. Somebody who's got a burden. (laughs) Gideon doesn't think he has a burden. Gideon thinks he's depressed. (laughs) And then Gideon says, God says to Gideon, okay. And Gideon says, well, God says, you're going to deliver the people. And Gideon's like, how am I going to do that? And God goes, I'll be with you. Is there anybody else up there? And then do you remember the plan? Like 30,000 men show up and Gideon's kind of encouraged. I mean, they're still outnumbered 10 to one, but at least he's got 30,000. That's a pretty big crowd. And God goes, you got too many people down there? (laughs) If you beat them with 30,000, they'll think you did it. Okay, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. 20,000 go home. And Gideon's like, well, at least we have thousands. God's like, okay, you got too many people? Okay, tell the people to go down by the water and drink, and everyone who drinks like a dog, keep them. I know Gideon's praying, oh God, lap, 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 lap. And you know, 300 of them drink like dogs, right? And God goes, That's, that'll be enough right there. And I'm sure Gideon's thinking, well, we're going to have this amazing plan. God goes, okay, here's the plan. Going to get some vases. Some candles and some trumpets. Do you notice anything missing? Like bows, spears, knives, guns. God goes, here what you're gonna do, what you're gonna do now, you're gonna wait till night, you're gonna go up on the mountain, then you're gonna light the candles. You, you know, if you're going to have a strategic advantage, you don't want people to know where you're at. Especially when there's only 300 of you. And now they can count. One, two, three. <laughs> you're going to go up on the mountain. You're going to wait till night. 
you're going to light the candles, and you're going to blow the trumpets and crash those jars. Can you imagine Gideon getting his men together? Okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going to get us some candles. John, get the candles. You've always been good with candles. Okay, we're going to have some training. Let's get some jars. Okay, let's crush a few jars. Okay, at the same time they blow the trumpet. Blow the trumpet, crush jars. Okay. So training. We're doing training for tomorrow night. about you, but that's a stupid plan. And then God says to Gideon, if you're afraid, if I'm afraid, I'm not afraid. I crapped my pants back there when you gave me the plan. I'm wearing huggies. Afraid? I was afraid the day you called me. I'm way beyond that now. And then God says, if you're afraid, I want you to go down to the enemy's camp, sneak down in there, take a friend with you, little, you know, kumbaya fellowship on the way down there, and then listen to what the enemy's saying about you. I mean, this just keeps getting weirder. So, okay, okay. Joe, you're going with me. So we go down and sneak in the bushes just in time when one of the enemy says to the other enemy, just as they get there, I had a dream last night. When was it? I dreamt that a barley loaf rolled over all of our tents and killed us all. (laughs) This is the enemy. And the other guy goes, that's none other than Gideon. God's anointed him to kill us. (laughs) Talk about weird stories like, you got to have faith just to read these stories, much less believe them. Uh, well, I don't know if you didn't read the Bible, like, they won. <laughs> Joe, you didn't like the candles. Oh, you broke the jars too soon, you know. And the all, enemy all killed one another. Gideon's like, okay, what's the next battle plan, you know? And these battle plans make no sense. You see the one with Jonathan? Jonathan goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. He's on our bear like, all right, all right, Joe, what are we going to do, John? Okay, what we're going to do is those guys up on the mountain, all those guys, yeah, we're going to go, hey! <laughs> okay, John, what's next? And if they say, Wait there, we'll come down. We're getting out of here because the Lord isn't with us. Okay, John. Now, if they say, come up here, we know the Lord's given them to us. I'm like, I'd rather have them come down because did you notice it says that they got on their hands and knees and clawed their way up to the top of the mountain, two of them. I'm sure John's like, look, they're overconfident. And they get up there and they start killing all these people and the entire army takes off after him. And just then Saul and his army gets up and like, hey, where's John? Boss, look, was, there's John and the armor bearers chasing the entire army. And they've been there 40 days and done nothing. And their whole army's mad at him. Why didn't they wake us? 
They didn't wake you because you had no faith. There's always someone that creates a tipping point that actually breaks through. Then everyone else goes, oh, we can do this too. Then they join us. And then we think the movement was about a bunch of people and we forget it was about John. It was about Gideon. It was about David at 15 with a rock. That's a great story too. Like, okay, I'm gonna kill you with a rock. <laughs> I was like, and I'm King Saul, I'm like, I can't, I can't even watch this. I'm just thinking about the giant, you know, nine foot six. He's like, <laughs> and then here comes a rock. He must have been like, this is unbelievable. Right before, right before he gets hit, he's like, oh, this is unbelievable. I'm dead. <laughs> have you ever read the story about the Wright brothers? Their father, Reverend Wright, he's a pastor. He's a friend, the, the, their, their father is a, is a friend of the, um, of, the, of the man who's over the patent office. And he has this man over for dinner and his two sons are at the dinner table and this man says, everything that can be invented has been invented. But the boys have been watching birds. Have you read this story? <laughs> They're like, how do birds fly? <laughs> Jumping off things with cardboard, whoa, we didn't fly, you know? And they leave, when that man leaves the house, those boys are like, I think we can fly. He's wrong. They make five planes that all crash. And the first, first time that those boys flew a plane, it flew for 12 seconds. You know where, know where it flew at? Kill Devil Life Saving Station. The name of the place where they flew the plane the last time and it flew for 12 seconds and they said, we can fly. There were seven people watching and it was at Kill Devil Station. That was the name of the place, Kill Devil. Isn't it funny that flight, first flight, the airplane, the first airplane to fly flew at a place called Kill Devil? Is that interesting? They crashed four planes before this one and the fifth one, they flew 12 seconds and the newspaper didn't even come out to see them because they had been out before and the boys had never flown. That's amazing. I, I always thought, you know, they must have flown like, whoo, you know, flew around for 20 minutes. They flew for 12 seconds and crashed that plane. And they go, we got this. And from then on, they began to fly. And what I'm getting at is like, when you try, and you, you're in there, make it, create a tipping point, it doesn't always work perfect at first. I, I love the Wright brothers who are like, no, we can fly. If birds can fly, we can fly. If birds can fly, we can fly. Next plane, if birds can fly, we can fly. Another crash, if birds can fly, we can fly. Another crash, if birds can fly, we can fly. Another plane, 12 seconds. I told you we could fly. I'm saying, Sometimes tipping points in history go unseen and unknown. Do you know that um, the famous uh, museum, Smithsonian Museum, would not put their planes in the museum? 
You know why? Until just a few years ago, because they had no education. They wouldn't recognize that they were the inventors of the first planes because they were uneducated, so the Smithsonian would not put the planes in there. I mean, I'm from Weaverville. Think of it, Weaverville. They probably wouldn't even let me visit the Smithsonian. You can't even act like you have education when you're from Weaverville. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, I, I can't do it. You know, there's other people that are they're better than me. They're, they're just strong. They're, there are certain people, they're the haves and the have-nots. There are the people who are born with it and there are not. There are people that are leaders and they're not leaders. I love Banny was preaching here some years ago and he said, you know, I did a study and you know what the difference is between the people who do things and the people who don't? The people who do things, do things. <laughs> That's the difference. I analyzed the people who do things and the people who don't. And what I found the big difference is the people who do things, they do things. That's the difference. You know, I, I love, uh, we, we uh, read, we love books in our school. We read lots of book, books. We love leadership books. Um, we, have you ever read Strength Finders? Love the Strength Finders books. We take the, the disc tests and we've used lots of different personality tests. I like them all. I like them if they're salt. I don't like them if they're the main meal. I don't like when our uh, team is identifying themselves. Well, I'm an SC. I can't do that. I'm an SC. I don't know what that means. Well, I, I'm Chris. <laughs> I, I, I don't like personality tests when we, it determines our identity. I like when it helps to describe our purpose, but I don't like when it determines our identity. So, but we take them, it's all good. And we take the strength finders test. You know, we take the strength finders test and you, and you see what are your five greatest strengths, you know? And I, 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 I like all those things. But sometimes I think, that God uses you in your weakness. <laughs> so you take the test and God goes, okay, look, Lord, here's my five strengths. You'll probably want to keep track of those. <laughs> and the Lord's like, oh, that's awesome. Those are the places we won't be using you. Yeah. <laughs> many years ago, um, a, a really good friend of ours uses uh, a couple of my books in their, in their um, university. And uh, they have a ministry track and they use two of my books in their university. And, and I was talking to the Chandler, a good friend of ours and Bill's. And, and uh, we sat down one day, I was doing a, a conference uh, with them and they said, he said to me, Chris, I would really like you to get an earned doctorate. And I'm like, well, that'd be great. He said, well, if, if you write a thesis, we use your book. So if you write a thesis and, and you, you do these, there was like four or five things I had to do we'll give you an earned doctorate and we'll graduate you this coming summer. Well, I had to Google what thesis meant. I didn't know what that meant. I thought like a theory, like I gotta write about a theory. Well, I believe the earth is flat. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come up with one, you know, like I, I literally did. I Googled him like, while well, he's talking to me, I'm like, Google thesis, I'm like, oh yeah. And I said to him, I, I just finished 
my woman's book, I wrote a book on empowering women called Fashion Rain, and I just finished the manuscript, and I said, I just finished this manuscript on empowering women, I did 600 hours of study for it, he said, oh, that'd be great, why don't we just put it in another format, and you, that could be your thesis, I'm like, oh, that'd be great, and, and so, uh, and then I, I had these uh, several things I had to get, just get together. And mostly my, pers- my PA could do it, my personal assistant could do it. So I came home, I was really excited. I called my mom, she cried on the phone. She's like, oh, your dad would be so proud of you. I'm, I'm so proud of you. You're the only one to have education in our family besides your father. Awesome, you know. So uh, three or four months go by, my PA is like, you know, uh, working with the, they give you a counselor who kind of helps you to, you know, put it in this format and do these things and answer these questions. And so, you know, every week I'm doing a little work on it. I have, it's like, it's like, it's probably 30 hours worth of stuff to do. So we're working through it together. About maybe, maybe two or three months goes by and I, I'm in bed and, I, and I, I'm just laying there. I'm not all the way asleep. And the Lord said to me, I heard you're getting your doctorate. Yes, I am. <laughs> he said, I heard you're getting your doctorate. I said, uh, uh-huh. He said, you didn't ask me about that. I said, all right. Can, can I get a doctorate? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because if you have letters after your name, people think you can do this. We both know you can't. <laughs> this is what he said to me. I'm telling you the truth. He said, you're a sign of what I do with weakness. And if you have letters after your name, it'll take away your testimony. This is what I do with broken and weak people. So I called my mom. (laughs) You think I called my mom to tell her, but I called my mom because I remember Jesus' mother. You know how Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing? And then they're out of wine. And Jesus' mother like, we're out of wine. I know it doesn't say this, but I think Jesus is thinking, I only do what I see my father doing. My father's not making wine. And and she looks at him and says, make a wine. (laughs) Do what your mother told you. I only do what my, I said, make a wine. And you know, I have this uh, curious question, like, how did Mary know that Jesus could make wine unless he was doing it at home? <laughs> if you think through it, it's actually an intelligent question, because it says it was his first public miracle. And when they ran out of wine, why would she think that had anything to do with Jesus if he had never done a private one? So living at Mary's house, How many of you are from Europe? You're from Europe, okay, good. You won't be offended when I tell you that it was, that, that his wine was fermented. Americans hate that, they're like, no, Jesus wouldn't make fermented wine. He did. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Second Corinthians, we're almost done. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness and insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I'm strong. I believe that, you are, that we are not just our strengths, that we are also our weaknesses. I'm saying, if you actually wanted to create a personality test that was accurate, and this is a little bit metaphoric, you would not just have your five strengths, you would also put in your five weaknesses because you are not just your strengths, you are also your divinely placed weaknesses. That God, I'm not talking about um, uh, morality or sexual sin, I'm, I'm talking about your actual weaknesses, your actual flaws. Like, the Lord actually designed you flawed on purpose. Then he goes, that's where I'm gonna use you. God, I'm scared, that's why I chose you. God, I'm not good at this. I know, and when you do it, they'll know it has to be me. Do you remember when Peter preached his first message? It probably changed as time went on, but you remember when he first preached his first message? They said, and they recognized him as unlearned. That means he weren't too smart. And they go, that message, that had to be God. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves, like we have issues like, like, like we're, we think, well, we're just too dumb. I, I know, I, I love God, I wanna do something, I wanna change history, but I'm just dumb. Let's just say you are. Like, let's just say it's not low self-esteem, let's just say, you're dumb. Have you ever heard of Samson? Have you ever heard of Samson in the Bible? I mean, Samson, listen, listen. When your girlfriend ties you up three times and tells you, the Philistines are upon you. And you still spill the beans? You are not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And how many know God used him? <laughs> so let's say you're dumb. So you're dumb. My dad always called me dumb. That's because you're dumb. <laughs> well, my mama said I was smart. Your mama always says good things about you. You know, you could be a drug addict. Your mama's like, oh, he's practicing to be a, a pharmacist. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're like, no, maybe you're like, maybe you're not dumb, but maybe you're just young. You're in here like, you know, well, one of these days, I'm gonna make history. I hit my 40s, I'm in my prime time, I'm gonna make history. You know how old Josiah was when he became king? Eight. He wasn't legal age to walk across the street without his mama holding his hand, and he was king. And you know, by the time he was 22, he had altered the entire course of Israel's history and he was eight years old. You know how old Joan of Arc was when she died? 18, when she died. She changed history before she was legal age to drink. <laughs> that was for those of you that are dumb. <laughs> Sorry, that was just funny. You know, you know you're not dumb, I'm just being funny. 
Maybe, maybe you're strange. You're like, I've been misunderstood all my life. Oh no, we get you. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're weird. Nobody gets, 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 gets me. No, we get you. We get you. We get you. We can tell when we were worshiping, you're one of them. Singing off a call. You're on the wrong song. You're singing the wrong line. Just weird. You're like, I can't change history. I'm weird. You ever heard of John the Baptist? He's wearing camel's hair. Do you know it never came into style? <laughs> I mean, usually, like, you know, we have rock stars, they wear weird things, and then the next, you know, next time they sing, like, the audience has it on. Not John. They're like, we like his message. No, not doing that. And he ate locusts. The kingdom of God is at hand. I was in Taiwan and we were in a basketball stadium. And I said, and John the Baptist was strange. He had camel's hair and he ate locusts. Asians don't even eat locusts. And simultaneously, 7,000 people shouted all at the same time, yes, we do. And my Asian translator said, the serpent would have had no chance in the garden if Adam and Eve were Asians. <laughs> he said that. I'm almost done. Maybe you're ugly. Maybe you're ugly. Like you're like, you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm ugly. And let's just pretend for a minute you are. Like let's pretend it's like, it's not low self-esteem. You're like, yeah. I don't know what happened. Like, I, I can't make a difference. Like I'm ugly. Like people even say I'm ugly. Like I'm ugly. Like. Mom, am I ugly? Well, son, you're, sh you're smart. <laughs> you know. Have you ever heard of Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln was so ugly. He had a disease that affected his bones. And you know how people get like arthritis in their hands and they make these big knobs? He had them in his face. He had knobs in his face. And when he was running for senator, a 10-year-old girl met him on the line, you know, when they're shaking hands? And when, she sh when he shook her hand, she said, Mr. Lincoln, you are so ugly. If I were you, I'd grow a beard and cover your face. And he did. And he changed history. You know, he's the most popular president in the history of our nation, and he was ugly. Maybe you have some emotional challenges. 
You know, like you really do. Like you're not really totally stable. I, I know if I was stable, I would change the world. You ever heard of Winston Churchill? Winston Churchill had something he called his black dog. His black dog wasn't his pet, it was his depression. And Winston Churchill, Danny Silk and I went to his house. He, he won there. <laughs> and the, the tour guide was telling us the story. I had, written, I had re read about Winston Churchill, many things about Winston Churchill. He's one of my favorite leaders in history. And she was telling us uh, about his depression. She said he went through 12 months where he was so suicidal that they stationed someone with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a solid year because he was suicidal. You ever look at Winston Churchill? He looks like Mr. Peabody. He's so ugly. His dad didn't like him. He's one of the greatest leaders in history. I'm simply saying, like, he wasn't even stable. He had chronic depression, and he changed history. If it wasn't for Winston Churchill, Americans, we'd be speaking German. Sorry, Germans, we love you guys now. We're glad to speak German now. It's all a completely different subject right now. Don't leave, I'm so sorry. Boy, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I hope you get my point. Everybody's got a reason why they can't change history. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too smart, I'm not smart enough. I'm it's this, it's that, it's always something. And I'm saying, the people who change history, they all have issues. The people you love, you're like, that guy is amazing, that woman's amazing. They all had issues. You know why? They were all humans. And I'm convinced that most of them had more issues than most people. Because I'm convinced that God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And he's not looking for somebody who has it all together. He's looking for somebody. A person. Just someone who said, I'll take that. I, I'll, like me. And you know, God's like, I want him. Me. I want him. God's like, I'll take him over there. God, take me. God's like, okay, come on. <laughs> I'm just joking, but my point is, my point is God does honor persistence. He does honor, he does honor people who say, God, take me. I was thinking, and I'll end with this, the Isaiah 6, he says, Isaiah said, in the, in the year Uriah, King Uriah died, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he wasn't writing a song. He said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And when he saw the Lord, he said, oh no, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he began to tell God what he's not. And then he realized that not only is he a man of unclean lips, but I got another problem. Everybody I know has the same issue. I live among people with an unclean lips. God, here's the reason why I can't do anything. And all of a sudden, a coal from the altar, you know the story. I, Isaiah says, and then I saw an angel, he put a coal, took tongs from the, and, and took a coal from the altar, and he put it on my tongue, and he said, no longer are you unclean. The next verse, then I heard, who shall I send, and who will go for me? 
And Isaiah's like, I, you can send me. I'm saying, Isaiah's like overcome with what he's not. And God says, I'll take care of that in one second. Now who's going for me? I want to tell you, your leaders, you're called to courage. Men don't follow titles, they follow courage. Nobody cares that you're the senior pastor, I'm the apostle, I'm the prophet. We don't give a rip. Do you have courage? I'm looking for somebody who's courageous. Well, I have a degree. That's awesome. Glad you have a degree. I want you to have a degree if you like are my doctor. But I don't care if you have a degree if you're my leader. I just want to know if you have courage. I just want to know, are you going to stand up and do something, or are you going to stay over here like, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. You're afraid. It looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's a duck. And I'm saying, I believe that God is calling us to courage. He's calling us to change the world. That's what we're doing here. We're not here like, let's equip some leaders to have a good church. I don't even care about that. I want to change the world. If 12 guys can change the world with no internet, no cars, planes, trains, none of the props, no PowerPoint, and the commentary on 12 people walking or taking donkeys, is those who turn the world upside down have come here. And don't tell me you can't change the world. I don't know what to do. The thing that's bothering you, do that. Well, nobody cares about that. You do. You do. That's what matters. You do. How do I know what to do next? What's the prophetic word in my life? Those are all good. I love prophetic words. Obviously, I'm a prophet. I like prophetic words. But I actually like what stirs you more. Because sometimes the prophetic words are for another time. And I'm stirred for this right now. I got these words, but I'm stirred for this. Do what you're stirred for. Just get up and do something. I don't know what to do. Go to a city council meeting. Go to a, a school board meeting. Just, just show up. And whatever makes you mad, you're like, that's what I'm supposed to do right there. Whatever stirs your heart, whatever gives you passion, you're sitting in that meeting, you're, they talk about 10 things, and you're like, that one thing right there, that's what I'm supposed to do right there. I'm serious, if you'll just expose yourself, if I'll just expose myself to real life, to real problems, I'll see 20 problems, none of them will make any sense to me, and then one of them, like, that's what I'm supposed to do right there. You can't do everything, but you're called to do something. You can't help everybody, you can help somebody. You can't be everywhere, but you can be somewhere. Stand, please. I think the obvious prayer tonight is for courage. I think that God would give us courage if we would actually tap into it to do something for the king. It doesn't have to be seemingly a religious thing. We told stories about boys who made planes and people who were in political offices. It doesn't have to feel religious for it to be God, right? And I love where the disciples, it says, and they spoke with boldness. I think it's Acts 4. And then they prayed and they said, God, give us more boldness. Yeah. 
And it says, and the place where they were at was shaken and they were all filled with boldness. They had boldness two verses earlier and God gave them more boldness. I believe that courage is the X factor in our lives. We think it's all these other things. I think it's just courage. I think it's just courage. And remember, when you do it for, at first, you'll probably get it wrong. It's okay, just do it again. Till you get it right. Lord, we pray tonight for courage. We pray for Holy Ghost courage. We pray for courage that's beyond human ability. We pray for the courage that, that, that Jonathan experienced. We pray especially for the courage that the armor bearer got. Lord, we pray for the courage of Gideon and the courage of Joshua and the courage of the apostles. Lord, we pray that you would give us divine courage when Elijah stood against the hundreds of false prophets with great courage and confidence. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage. And Lord, I pray that everybody, everybody's water would be troubled. That no person would leave here untroubled. I mean that the Lord would stir your water. That even now, as I'm sharing, that you would go, I know what I'm supposed to do when I get home. I know who I'm supposed to touch. I know what God's called us to do. And Lord, I pray that they would go back and they would stir their people. They would say, this is what we're supposed to do. And it may be a dumb plan. It may be a plan that would never work if it wasn't God. Like, I know God said, get jars. I know God said, do it this way. Lord, I just release that courage and I pray for the wisdom of heaven that might look like foolishness to everyone else, but it makes perfect sense in the kingdom. And I bless every person here in Jesus' name. And Lord, may we together make earth like heaven. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.